uh, chapter 19, John chapter 19. While you turn there, I just want to uh, express my sincere appreciation for your uh, efforts and your diligence to invite people to Easter. I have taught you that uh, all through these years to invest and invite, invest and invite. And the invitation is, is not just a church, it's part of it. To invite people to Christ, invitation to conversations, and invest in them, to love them, to serve them. And that helps us to bring people to Christ. We had so many uh, precious people that were here, I didn't get to meet everybody, and that's okay. But I just appreciate your diligence to that. Thank you so much. Now, uh, this Wednesday evening, uh, Brother Benny was supposed to be with us this, this past Wednesday. And he requested uh, a change so that his wife could be with him. Uh, they are missionaries to the Philippines. Dr. Benny is, uh, Jim Benny is one of the best preachers that I know. I've often said that you could take his sermon and just copy it down and, and print it out and not have any corrections to it. It just, it just flows. And he's a Christian counselor. And it's helped uh, hundreds and hundreds of people. The old television show back in the uh, in the sixties, I believe it was the sixties. I don't know if it went in the seventies. Bewitched. There was a, a actor there, Agnes Moorhead. She was a mother of uh, I forget her name, but anyhow, one of the actors in there. But she had a dominant role. Uh, she became Christian. She gave her heart to Christ. And she lived in Ohio. She had a mansion in Ohio. And uh, she wanted to to give it to to a ministry that would use it for God. So she contacted Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, and said, uh, who, who could use this for the Lord? And they said, well, we know someone. And so for many years, uh, Jim and Sandra Benny used that for counseling uh, pastors and Christian workers, and in fact, a, a good friend of mine went there for some help, and uh, they were very helpful for them. And then Sandra, some of you met them. I think Dr. Benny's done three couples conferences for us up in Pigeon Forge. She battled cancer for a long time and went to heaven. And uh, since then, Brother Benny's been remarried. But I want you to be here. We'll meet over in the fellowship room. Uh, the, the building that kind of protrudes out at 6 o'clock. And if you don't ordinarily come, uh, maybe you get off work uh, close to that. But I want, I want to enc- encourage you to come uh, to hear Dr. Ben. He can't come on Sunday. Uh, he's from the Philippines filling in for a pastor that uh, has been battling a debilitating illness for a number of months over in South Carolina. And he said he wanted to come over and see us. So he'll be here Wednesday night, okay? John 19, we'll look there in just a moment. Uh, I love pictures. I love photographs, and uh, our home is filled with pictures on the walls. Uh, we have, it's a joke with me and Paula that uh, how many pictures uh, that we have. I love to take pictures. We have thousands and thousands of pictures, not on our walls, uh, stuffed in drawers and and type some things to preserve memories. 
And I got to thinking about that one time, why that I love uh, pictures. Well, they, they keep my heart tender. I didn't know that at one time. I just knew that I loved them. But when I look at uh, a photograph of, of past events with uh, friends and family and so forth, and I think about a specific time or occasion and all of those details, my heart is warmed and my love is deepened uh, for those people. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we have a, like an armoire. I think that's what it's called. It's kind of a large dresser with kind of open drawers that open like that in it. And uh, anyhow, uh, we have some, some binders in there with our wedding pictures. And then we have all kinds of a uh, couple of dozen binders of nothing but vacation pictures. And so I was looking for something in an armoire. And then I saw those vacation pictures in there, and I hadn't looked at them in a while. So I grabbed a couple of those binders, and nobody was home but me. So I just sat down on the bed, and I opened them up, and I began to go through and see when the kids were younger. And I, uh, you know, my memory started going back and remembered places and events and activities. And, and by the time that I had finished that little 20, 30-minute journey of going through, my heart was warmed and my eyes were moistened. And uh, I love my kids better. I love my wife better. And my heart, my heart was, was tender, more tender, hopefully. And I've learned that if I rehearse the right things, I can keep my heart tender. But I have to rehearse them. Now, this is a biblical principle. Uh, in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah was a weeper. He wasn't necessarily born that way. He became that way. Uh, he had a tender heart. Uh, and Lamentations is a book about him lamenting the state of his beloved city. And he, he makes a statement in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 51. He says, Mine eye affecteth mine heart. Have you ever seen that? I've given it to you before. I'm sure you've seen it and read it. Mine eye affecteth mine heart. And you see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament so many times. Lot looked back and he saw some property and affected his heart in a bad way. Your eyes affect your heart for good or for bad. Jesus was approaching Jerusalem. And as he saw Jerusalem, he knew the future for Jerusalem. And Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, the Bible says, And when Jesus was come near... He beheld the city, that's the city of Jerusalem, and he wept over it. Now, I want you to look at that verse. And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. You know, if you're not near someone, you can't behold them, and if you don't behold them, you won't weep. I think some people just look at folks that are compassionate and they, they think, well, you were just born that way or you just have a disposition or a personality or a temper. No, no. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a bit of character. Maybe it's a discipline. Maybe it's a focus. It's what they, what they look at. They're looking at different things and look at different ways than you do. Maybe you're looking at money. Maybe you're looking at promotion. They're looking at people. Jesus was come near. And it wasn't 
just the city. It was the people and what was going to happen. And he beheld the city. Matthew 9, the Bible says Jesus beheld the people and he was moved with compassion. If we rehearse the right things, we can keep our heart tender. If you look at the wrong things, it will dull your heart spiritually. But not looking at the right things will make you grow indifferent. Because you're looking at something. You're looking at something. Now the core focus that we're supposed to have as Christians is to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day. Uh, the Bible says, I think it's in Hebrews 12.1 or 2. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And when we're not looking unto Jesus, we begin to drift from Him. We drift away from Him. Did you know it's it's possible to come to church this morning and not look unto Jesus? It's possible to serve God and not look unto Jesus. It's possible to go to your life group. It's possible to write a check to the church and not look unto Jesus. It's possible to go through the motions and not look unto Jesus. It's possible to look at the pastor, look at your teacher and so forth, and not look unto Jesus. Because being a Christian is, is knowing about Christ, it's, it's serving Christ, it's walking with Christ. But it's so easy, so easy to forget that. Now let me illustrate this, and then we want to get into the message. This is the introduction uh, it's where I want to take you. When I was younger, I used to hear a preacher say this, and I was a little confused about it, and then I, I made resolution with it, and I'll show you how I resolved that. But I would hear them say this, and they would base it on this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. They said, Paul said this, Paul said, For I am determined not to know anything among you, Save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Paul said that. I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul established that church through the help of God. He won most of those people to Christ. He taught them there in the city of Corinth. And so what what some preachers would say very sincerely, they would say that Paul didn't preach anything but the gospel. Every sermon Paul preached, he preached the gospel. Charles Spurgeon took a text and he made a beeline to the gospel. And I was confused because I said, well, I I preach more than the gospel. Am I being disobedient? I didn't think I was here to preach the whole counsel of God. So how do you reconcile that and then uh, the sincere... Usually, usually the zealousness of an evangelist I had the gift of evangelism. And then I got to thinking there in First Corinthians. That's in First Corinthians chapter two, and verse two. Well, in the book, let's see, in the book of First Corinthians, in chapter one, Paul talked about church splits. In chapter. Two, he talked about carnality. In chapter 3, he talked about carnality. In chapter 3, he talked about rewards 
at the judgment seat. In chapter 4, he talked about pride. In chapter 5, he talked about church discipline. In chapter 6, he talked about lawsuits, Christians suing one another. In chapter 7, he talked about marriage and being single. In chapter 8, in chapter 9, and a little bit in chapter 10, he talked about questionable activities, what's right and what's wrong when the Bible doesn't speak directly to it. In chapter 11, he talked about the roles of men and women in the church, which is very controversial today, but it's very plain in the Bible. But he talked about the roles of men and women. In chapter 11, he talked about the Lord's Supper. Chapters 12, 13, and 14, he talked about spiritual gifts. In chapter 15, he talked about what our bodies are going to be like in the resurrection. In chapter 16, he talked about Christian giving in the church. And he talked about some other matters in the book. And yet, he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So I want to ask you a question. I'm not being a smart aleck. I promise I'm not. Is all that he preached was it the gospel? Well, no. He dealt with a whole range of things. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. Jesus Christ is a hub of everything that we do. And all these other things are but the spokes. And the reason they got all messed up and they had church splits and and the way they did the Lord's Supper was a mess and the way that the roles of men and women were all messed up, etc. And the whole thing, even the, the way they were exercising church gifts were a mess. Are you with me? Is they got their eyes off of Jesus. Jesus is the hub. And it's real easy to reduce the Christian life to an academic focus. Where we know the Bible, we know book, chapter, and verse. I can remember when I was in high school and a certain denomination would want to, um, would want to debate me sometimes. And I, I, I didn't want to debate. I knew the Bible. And any time they saw you with the Bible open, I asked one of them one time, I said, why don't you just win souls? Why aren't you interested in witnessing to people that are lost? It's like you find someone that has a Bible and you immediately want to go and debate with them. Why aren't you interested in just uh, reprobates and lost people? It's like you want to automatically go to someone where you can debate things. And that's what you're trained to do because you automatically have a common ground rather than just going and loving people where they're at beginning from that basis. But it's so easy to get, get real academic about things. Some of the meanest people I've ever met are professing Christians and people that know the Bible. And they use the Bible as a club. They use it as a weapon rather than a tool to build and medicine to heal. What I was going to tell you about these people is... One of the things they would like to say, and then I quote, is book, chapter, and verse. Book, chapter, and verse. Now, when I go to the pharmacy, and they give me my medicine, I don't say, now, how do you pronounce it? I'm not going out. I want to know all the ingredients. No, I just, do you know what's in it? Well, I'm good with that. 
See, now I think you need to study the Bible. It's not a complete comparison. But there's a certain arrogance that we have sometimes that we think we have command of the facts, so we're spiritual. And we're not. We, we reduce the relational component of the Christian life to something that is not important. That if we master the facts. Now today, we're going to, as we get in our text, which shows us how to maintain a warm heart on a consistent basis. Wouldn't you like to do that? I would. And here's the key. And here's the hinge point to the message. That your proximity to the cross reveals your heart to God. Your proximity to the cross reveals your heart to God. And as you draw near to the cross, you discover the nature of your heart. And on a regular basis, you need to walk with Christ and His cross because you discover your heart. And you reveal your heart. Now, look in the text with me. John chapter 19, look at verse 16. Then delivered he him, this is the Lord Jesus, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And on the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, write not, the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, that is the soldiers, let us not rent it or tear it, but cast lots for it. It's almost like they were uh, rolling dice, but they weren't. They were casting lots was usually different size of, of strips of wood. Cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, a part of my raiment among them. And for my vesture they did cast lots soldiers did. That's from Psalm 22. And notice in verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's three Marys. Jesus' mother Mary, his mother's sister, Jesus' aunt, Mary the mother of Cleophas. We'll talk about her in a little bit. And Mary Magdalene. And then there's a fourth, verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved. And that's John, the author, the human author of this gospel. The disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother. And this is the title of the message. Woman, behold thy son. 
Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple, John, took her, Mary, unto his own home. Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. This is the third saying of Jesus from the cross. I want us to look this morning at the audience, the audience of the cross. We started this uh, two weeks ago. I want us to look at a little more detail in it. At the foot of the cross, there were, there were a lot of people. It was a very crowded place. The Bible talks about the soldiers and other places. It talks about the religious crowd, the passers-by, those that were curious. And, and then at a distance, there were some other disciples, not Jesus' disciples, but some ladies that had followed Jesus. But there at the foot of the cross, there stood by the cross, were four people. Jesus' mother, Jesus' aunt, Mary Magdalene, and then John, the disciple, exhibiting loyalty. Now, let's consider Jesus' mother, Mary. Now, she learned something. I said that at the cross, you discover things about yourself. And Mary discovered this at the cross. She discovered that, listen to this, that along with the greatest privilege in life comes the deepest sorrow. Along with your greatest privilege comes your deepest sorrow. When Jesus was eight years old, they carried Jesus, Joseph, his stepfather, and his mother Mary to Jerusalem to be dedicated fully to God and also to be circumcised. They met two people. They met a lady and they met a man named Simeon. Simeon prophesied over the Lord Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 34 I know this says, Simeon blessed them. He blessed them, plural. But he said unto Mary, so he said this directly to Jesus' mother Mary. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Now watch this, this is in parenthesis. A sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. And don't miss that. A sword will pierce through your own soul. Now, your soul is the entirety of your person. He's saying a sword won't pierce through your body. It will pierce through your your entire person, your mind, your emotions, and your will, everything that you are. In other words, here's what he's saying. Mary, you will be engulfed with sorrow and grief. No, I... I Our tendency is when we first get a message that the Lord has given us a ministry or we're called to a ministry, well, this is going to be exciting. And we think about the privileges, and there's nothing wrong with that. I remember when the Lord began to call me to to be in ministry. And I I had no idea about it, but I, I had some ideas. But I'll tell you one thing that wasn't in my mind. There was no suffering. There was no heartache. There was no disloyalty. There was no disappointment. But with your greatest privileges come your your greatest sorrows. And when Jesus was just barely a week old, Mary was warned by Simeon. And he blessed them, but he warned her and said, Now listen, a sword is going to pierce through 
your soul. Now, this is not for preachers because Mary, while she was a godly lady, her ministry was to raise the Son of God, and she did that. For every person in here, God's will for your life involves suffering. And some of you have gotten out of the will of God because of suffering, because something happened. And I would say to you this morning to look at the cross, to stand by the cross. Because the cross for Jesus meant suffering. And he took up his cross and he suffered for you. And if the will of God for Jesus involves suffering, then it's going to mean some suffering for you. So don't shrink back from it. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, And Jesus said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, when you grow up in church, you hear all kinds of things. They're not wrong things, but you grow up with kind of ideas. Now, you hear that take up your cross daily. Well, what does that mean? It's not a physical cross. It's a metaphor. And for most of my life early on, I thought, well, that, that's take up your suffering. But it doesn't say take up your cross, it's take up His cross. And it's your, identify, it's your identification with Christ, watch this, but what was His cross? His cross was the will of God for His life. Do you know what your cross is? Your cross is God's will for your life. And you are to take up your cross daily and follow Him wherever it leads. Remember old Pete and John, and uh, Jesus told John what was going to happen to him in John chapter 21. And Peter said, hey, what about me? And Jesus said, what is that to you? You need to follow me. And Peter was crucified. The Bible doesn't say, but tradition says, and, and well, stated tradition Upside down. In fact, they were going to crucify him. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. Take up your cross daily. Well, I can't believe they they did that. I'm just going to leave. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. In Luke chapter 14, the Bible says, A crowd came. Jesus reduced the crowd. Verse 27, he said, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Bear his cross. The disciple, like his master, has a cross. What is your cross? Your cross may be raising a child. One of the things I tell my kids, you know, when they get discouraged and they want to leave a job, so every job has a part that's difficult. Every job. Every job has a personality or two that's not pleasant. Every job. And until you make peace with that, you're going to change jobs. And the will of God has, has parts to it that are not pleasant because of this fallen world. And God takes those parts and He uses them to polish. He takes evil and He takes that to polish off 
the sinful places, the rough places in your life to make you more like Jesus. And when you run from those, when you run from those places, you miss God's best for your life. Whosoever doth not bear his cross, come after me, cannot be my disciple. Mary looked up there and she remembered as she looked near the cross. She remembered what Simeon said. And that old sword had been thrusting in her for a while on many occasions, but it was at its full maxim today before the cross. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, the Bible says of the Lord Jesus, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, because it was the worst form of execution possible. And notice this, he had to humble himself because pride reacts and rejects the cross. I don't want that pathway. I want the easy path. God says, no, there's a cross. You want the crown? There is no crown without a cross. Here's a verse I quoted earlier. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, endured the cross, despising the shame, enduring the cross, despising parts of it that came with them. So my question today is what part of the will of God are you balking at? What part is keeping you from from God's best? Because, listen, the greater your privilege, the deeper your sorrow and suffering. And I'm not talking about occupational ministry. I'm talking about at any level of the will of God, of marriage, of parenting. You know, aside from, from being a husband... The greatest joy in my life is being a father. And I say this with all due respect to my children. No, no one has made me suffer more than my children. And no one has brought greater joy than my children. So what do you do? You just say, well, I don't, I don't want the sorrow, so I do away with the... You can't have it both ways. Do you want the joy of the will of God? You've got to endure the cross... If you want the joy that's set before you. A.W. Tozer said, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And I think Tozer's right there. And If you've been hurt, let the grace of God heal you. Let him carry you through that time because there will be hurts. It's, it's worse when people are involved. There's some mean people. Ask Jesus. But you've got to endure. You've got to endure that. There's going to be some mean people where you're going. And secondly, not only was Jesus' mother there, Jesus' aunt was there. In John 19.25, there stood by the cross of Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas. 
And notice who this was. It identifies further in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-five. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. These ladies that had served him for his ministry financially and other ways. Among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother, watch this, of James and Joseph or John, who was the mother of Zebedee's children. That is, James and John. Zebedee, she was a wife of Zebedee. Now, what was she thinking? I was talking to Paul about this a month, month ago when I was preparing this message. I said, what do you think Mary, the mother of John, and James was thinking? And she said, she brought up this incident. I, said, I bet she was thinking about this. I said, I do too. Remember this incident? In Matthew chapter 20, just... Days, not long, a handful of days before Jesus was crucified. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way. So apparently they went aside to camp or to rest. They've been traveling, so they're just the twelve. He's going to teach them, talk to them. And introduce to them the cross. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed under the chief priests and under the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. He gave him the gospel. But he said, I, I'm going to die. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be mocked. Now, I have this word highlighted, then... Then, in the midst of this most sober discussion, came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons. So here comes Mama Bear with her adult boys. Now, to be fair, they were probably, some people say, older teenagers and in their young 20s at the oldest. Worshiping him, that doesn't mean it was a worship service. The word worship there has the idea of offering very respectful attitudes and a respectful greeting. And desiring a certain thing. Now, before I get into this, you know the text, most of you that have been saved. What I'm about to give you is full of ambition. It's full of networking. It's full of connection. It's full of privilege. It's full of a desire for recognition. It's full of pride. I've heard guys say, oh, there was nothing wrong. Jesus didn't rebuke her. Well, he didn't have to. It is a total misunderstanding of leadership. It's a total misunderstanding of authority. And everything she says has to do with the world's way. In fact, Jesus does rebuke her on the back end of it. Desiring a certain thing of Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, what wilt thou? What do you want? And she, and this is the lady before the cross is in. She saith unto Jesus, Grant that these, my two sons, two of the twelve disciples, may sit, the one on thy right hand, which was a place of privilege and authority, and the other on the left, who was as close as you could get, the closest could be in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. That's very telling. Now you don't know, you don't know what you're asking. Are ye able? 
to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And notice she's making, she's doing all the talking. And she said, are you able? And he uses the metaphor of drinking and baptism. Are you able to endure what I'm going to go through? I've just explained this. Look at the next word. I have this. They. And the boys speak up. They say, we are able. Remember that song? Are ye able, said the master, to be crucified with me? I know you wonder why I'm not leading singing instead of Tim. But uh, try to be humble about it. I can't manifest all my gifts at the same time. And they say unto him, they say unto him, we are able. And he saith unto them, ye shall drink indeed of my cup. And be baptized with a baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. Now, by the way, they, they were baptized with that baptism. They did drink of that cup because James was beheaded. He became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. John was the only one of the twelve that was not martyred. Except for Judas, he committed suicide. But but the other guys were martyred. John, tradition, church history, and, and it's well believed this, that he was boiled in, in, in a cauldron of oil with all the blisters. And, and he was just disfigured and then sent to the Isle of Patmos to die where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation. And these men did suffer. But on the front end, along with their mom, is they weren't, they weren't concerned with suffering. Listen to this. It's almost like Mary, you know, we want the privilege. We don't understand the suffering. We want the leadership. We want the authority. We want the blessing. But we're not interested in the pathway. Now, I want you to notice... Uh, the conversation after this because the kingdom values are not the world's values. In Matthew chapter 20, we pick up in verse 23. And some of this is repeated, but look at it in context. Ye shall drink, Jesus said, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with a baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom is prepared of my Father. And when the ten, that is the other ten, besides James and John, the other disciples, heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. I looked at that word indignation. It's an inward stirring of uneasiness. You know why they were upset? Because they wanted those seats. And there's so much... Dissension and so many problems in families and homes because of a lack of contentment. And we look at other people getting the primary places and contending for stuff. Just let them have it. Well, we went to court and you know, mom and dad died and you know, my brother, he got more. Just let them have it. Oh, preacher, but you don't know. I know you're, you're missing the peace of God. Let them have it. No, you don't know. Okay. 
They heard it. And the Bible says this, they, they were indignant. They lost the peace of God. They were angry. And listen, when we become that way and, and we try to be number one and we become comparing ourselves among themselves, we're not wise. And we do not w- understand in James chapter 3, we begin to sow seeds that bear bitter fruit. And we do great harm. We shouldn't do that. But Jesus called them. He called the group unto him. And he said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion. This is the way leaders in the lost world do this over them. And they that are great exercise in the world exercise authority upon them. In other words, in the world, the people that are authority, they have authority. They're the great people. The people that you know and you recognize and that are on the commercials and the athletes. These are the great people. I mean, even today, if you want to get elected to an office, you have to have a certain type of a charismatic personality. You have to have a certain type of ability to be elected. A certain type of appearance. has nothing. There are certain people that will never get elected that will be better an office and other people, but they're not able to because of, of what I just read, because of the way the world views greatness. Jesus said, but it shall not be so among you. Can I say something? If Jesus tarries and I die next week, you be careful who you seek as leaders in this church. As Barney Five says, be careful about getting somebody real suave. You know, we, we haven't had anybody suave in a long time. I mean, we've had you and Tim and Daniel. We need somebody really suave. Suave. I'm trying to suave. But there's nothing wrong with having a nice personality. But what do you look for? It shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. That's not an office. That's, a, that's an action. That's an attitude. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as a son of man, that's the Lord Jesus, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. See, now what are you going to do for me? Now, how are you going to take care of me? Now, what's in it for me? And, and to give, and to give, and to give his life. Now, he gave his life. And, and listen, Mary, the mother of James and John, was looking at him giving his life a ransom. But she was seeing the full Display of what Jesus said that day as she stood near the cross. And she learned that the key to God's kingdom isn't about leadership and authority. It's about humility. It's about, it's about serving. And she saw that her values and her desires, just like ours, can be tainted by worldly motives 
But listen, when you stand by the cross, and you don't have to be there in Jerusalem, you can be there today, you can be there this afternoon, you can stand by the cross and crucify your ambition. Say, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to serve people. Acts 10.38, and Jesus went about doing good. Because the pathway to the kingdom and the will of God is dying to self. I wrote this in my notes. All of our conflicts are from the reality that there's one throne and two kings. One throne and two kings, and I want to be one of the kings. Somebody must throw down their crown, and it needs to be you. Just say, I'm, I'm not in the race. I don't have to win. Because I didn't come to win, I came to serve. Isaac Watts said, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save or accept in the death of Christ my Lord all the vain things that charm me most. I sacrifice them to His blood. See from his head, from his hands, from his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So here this precious lady Mary discovered really what, what leadership is about. I want my boys to be leaders with you. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. I'm not trying to be a leader. I'm really not concerned about authority. Luke chapter 20, I think it's verse 27. Jesus, I am among you as one that serves. Are you easily offended when you're not recognized? Are you easily offended when people forget you? Are you easily offended when when all the work that you put into something is not valued? Maybe you need to visit the cross. Maybe the Lord is trying to, to get you to die to that stuff. Stand near the cross. I read a story this week. There are a number of stories that, that I could have given, but I, I love this one. The simplicity of it involves one of my favorite heroes. That's D.L. Moody. I love D.L. Moody because of his, his simplicity. He was not an educated man. It was said that when Moody preached, he, he so mangled the king's English. But he had God's power upon his life because he, he so walks close to God and and he had such a he, he loved people he loved the Lord and uh, there, there's a great book uh, a little booklet actually called my God used D.L. Moody you ought to order it sometimes off the internet it's probably like five bucks but be worth your getting but in the late 1800s he was the most famous evangelist in the world and in Northfield Massachusetts I've been to the uh, the college there that he established it's called uh, Mount Hebron now, been to his graveside in a little house there that he, he grew up in. 
And uh, people would flock to that particular place. It was a campground where he had annual Bible conferences. Roger Martin, Joy Martin's husband, who's written the uh, only uh, biography of Ari Torrey, which is an outstanding autobiography, uh, told me about one of the meeting places up there where on the, the hearth of, of the fireplace were the signatures of uh, C.I. Schofield and different people who uh, edited the Schofield Bible, obviously, ha- have signed and, and so forth. It's just interesting, interesting place. But here it is in the late 1800s, and, and there's a large group of pastors from Europe that have, have come in for this, this Bible conference. Uh, many, many, many pastors from Europe and many, many from America. And so uh, it's at night, and Moody, is, his custom is, is walking through the dormitories where they put up the men and the, the students, kind of like a Bible college, where I went to Bible college, and they put these men up. And Well, the men in, in England had a custom, and others in Europe that Americans didn't, where during the day they would... Uh, go about their business, and then at night they would take their shoes off and they would put them out in the hallway. And when they would stay in hotels and stay in people's homes, the servants would take their shoes and they would polish them and clean them and shine their shoes. So Dio Moody was, was walking down the hallway and he was looking at these shoes and it struck him all of a sudden our guests, these European guests, uh, think that we have that custom here in America. But we do not have servants here on our campus to, to take care of that. It's late in the evening, and he had a few of the students with him, and he mentioned it to them. He said, you know, these men need their shoes cleaned. And some of the students that were there studying for ministry, none of them picked up the hint. They went on back to the rooms, and Moody went about, and he began to gather those boots and take them back to his his room, and he began to clean them by hand. And the only way that we know about this story is he never told anyone, but he was interrupted by a friend of his who came into his room, and he saw the, the boots there arranged in order so he could get them back. He said, what are you doing? And he told him what had gone on. I didn't want to bother anybody else. And so his friend sat down and he helped him clean those boots with Mr. Moody. That's what leadership is. And that's what authority is. Because it's not trying to be in charge. It's trying to lift others up and then letting God lift you up in his due time. And that's one of the lessons that Jesus' Aunt Mary learned when she stood near the cross. That her ambitions were being crucified. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Would you do that?